And the funny thing is the less you need money, the more people want to do business with you. That's one of my biggest hacks I've learned in my business is that the more I'm financially free, the more people want to pay me money. Hello and welcome to episode 161 of the Smart Agents Podcast. As always, my name is Michael Walter and I'll be your host. In today's episode, we are joined by cash flow expert Chris Miles. Early in his career as a financial advisor, Chris was asked if he was personally financially free and realized that he wasn't even though he was following the same playbook he used with clients. After that realization, Chris began to use his money in different ways and was able to retire at the age of 28. Fast forward to today and Chris is sharing his advice on increasing cash flow and creating multiple streams of income. Throughout our conversation, we touched on why Chris stopped following traditional financial advice, his tips for creating passive income, and how to choose the right investment opportunities. But before we get on to today's featured interview, the all-new Smart Agents magazine has launched and is full of insights and strategies designed to help real estate agents grow their businesses. Inside, you will find interviews and advice from leading real estate professionals, marketing tips to flood your business with leads, and even swipe and deploy files full of practical tools to enhance your business. Subscribe now to receive your copy of the printed magazine each month and instantly get access to our online agent community and members-only templates. Click the link in the episode description or go to smartagents.com forward slash magazine. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to share it with a colleague or friend. We stream on all major podcasting platforms such as Apple, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And finally, if you or someone else on your team has an incredible story or real estate tips to share with our community, send us a message at feedback at smartagents.com. We're always on the lookout for new stories to share. All right, let's get on to the day's featured interview with Chris Miles. If you're interested in learning more, you can check out Chris's podcast, Money Ripples. I've included a link in the episode description. Really, the way I like to start everything out is if you could just introduce yourself to us a little bit, who you are and where you're at. Yeah, it's Chris Miles, anti-financial advisor. You probably mentioned in the bio there. But uh, pretty much for me, like I, I'm out in Utah, but, uh, but everybody I, I've been serving has been nationwide. Uh, I'll tell you, I didn't start out being a financial guy. You know, I was raised by a dad that was in the automotive business. My mom was an artist. She was trained by the same master painter as Bob Ross, you know, the, the guy with the fro, oh, and yeah. the happy little <laughs> trees and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I had a pretty mixed, you know, interesting childhood growing up with very logical versus the artistic minded parents. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that they both kind of agreed upon was that money was scarce, right? There just wasn't enough of it. You know, we can't afford this. What do you think I am made of money? Money doesn't grow on trees, you know? You know, all those kind of phrases here growing up. And uh, so, of course, naturally, I didn't want to become like my parents. I didn't want to become, you know, where, you know, my dad would say that work would literally kill him. I was like, so I can't do that. I can't choose the normal work hard path, even though they taught me good values like working hard. I didn't want to have to work my tail off and kill myself. So when I went to college, I thought I was going to become a business consultant. But I figured if I'm going to do that, I should have real life business experience. So I took a sabbatical. This was, only, was supposed to only be for one year. Took a sabbatical from college to go find some business to do. And that first business that came up that intrigued me was being a, a financial advisor, not knowing they'd take anybody off the street that can pretty much pass a test with 70% and not be a criminal. That's that's the only requirements. You don't have to be a genius to do it, right? Uh, kind of like in real in real estate. I mean, you got to get licensed and everything. You have all the hours of classes, very similar. Um, that's the hardest part. Then when you become then you would become that financial advisor. Then you actually have to learn to sell and, and you know, do those kind of things. And so I started doing that. I actually was in that career for four years. So I stayed dropped out of college. I'm officially a college dropout, even though I was about to get my MBA. 
um, I dropped out. And I went the entrepreneur path because I want to control my own time, my destiny, my freedom, you know, really just control of everything, including money. However, uh, the one thing is that's ironic is that as a financial advisor, they teach you about always set it and forget it, right? Put it away for someday. Well, what about now? And I thought that, you know, the, even the someday thing would work until I sat down with my dad. Because my dad said, Chris, when are you going to become my financial advisor? So I sat down with him, saw his finances for the first time in my life because he always kept him close to his chest. He was always afraid everybody's going to take his money away. And of course, he was the stingiest, cheapest guy you've ever met. I mean, he was the kind of guy that Dave Ramsey would say, man, I want to be like him someday, you know? <laughs> and uh, so, I, you know, so I'm sitting down with him and he's been stuffing money in his 401ks. He paid off his house early. He was debt free. And I looked at his money. I said, dad, you're 61 years old. If you want to retire today, you better hope you die in five years because that's how long it's going to be before you run out of money. Okay, Chris, that's not what I want to hear. What else can I do? I said, I don't know. You did everything right based on what I teach as a financial advisor. And guys, that bugged me. That bugged me a lot because I was supposed to be the guy that had it all figured out, right? I mean, I was supposed to be the guy that, you know, I've been teaching all these clients that this is what works. And my dad was living proof that what I taught doesn't work. Even worse, I believed it worked because I was drinking the Kool-Aid. I was putting my money away just like my dad was, trying to be cheap, turn off the AC in the summer, turn off the heat in the wintertime so my family hates me, uh, all so I could save a few bucks to put away and hopefully retire someday. And when I realized that it was a bunch of crap, I, I, I had a choice to make, right? Um, and it actually came, came to a head when one of my friends who I trained to be a, real, to be a financial advisor became a real estate investor. And he challenged me, he said, Chris, how many of your clients are truly financially free? Well, none, because they all worry about money. Nobody's really free. They're retired, but they're not free. Okay, Chris, how about this? How many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions you're earning, but actually doing these investments? And I said, well, I've seen guys working here since the late 1970s, so none? And I was right. Nobody was free. And he says, there's your problem. And that kind of led me down the path of actually not just listen, you know, reading the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but actually applying it where I started doing things more on the passive side of real estate, a little bit with the active side too. I did some flipping and things like that. But it got to the point where later that year, I was able to retire myself uh, by rejecting everything I learned as a financial advisor. In fact, I quit. I couldn't teach that crap again because I fell out of integrity. So I went to do that. I was able to retire when I was 28 years old. I couldn't believe it. And, uh, and then I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? And, and that's kind of where everybody, of course, always asks me, they're like, how are you 28, 29 years old and now you're retired? How is that possible? And so that's why in 2007, I came out of retirement to start teaching people how, how to do what I did. And that's what I've been right. doing ever since. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, definitely want to dive into what you did to get to that point where you could retire. Um, and, you know, uh, the kind of the, the moves that you made and, and how that has shifted as you know, markets have changed and and you know things have kind of gone on. But I guess starting from the very beginning, once you had that conversation and realized that you know maybe you know your dad wasn't set up, but maybe you weren't either. What were what were some of those first things you started doing to put yourself in a better situation? Yeah, so I started focusing. I realized that in financial advising, they always teach you in the traditional mindset to always accumulate money, right? And then you're going to live on less than the interest. You basically scrimp, save suffer, sacrifice forever, hopefully someday have something. And that's what I was doing. And uh, so my goal, for example, because uh, in 
financial advising, at least with people that are keeping up with the, the trends in the last two decades. Um, they, there used to be people saying there's a 4% rule when it came to mutual funds that you can live on 4%. Well, that was already debunked years ago. They already know because people are living longer, especially if you get to age 65, People, half of people lived in 92 if you're 65. So they found out what the way the, re the returns are, you should only pull out 3%. So my goal was save up $2 million by being cheap and putting away all the money I make in commissions and stuff. And then when I hit $2 million, I can live on 3% or 60,000 a year, 5,000 a month. Because I thought 20 years ago, that was a comfortable life. Not anymore, but it was then, right? <laughs> and so that was my plan. What shifted for me was that it was, it's all about what I teach people today is get lean, get liquid and get out. So get lean and start tracking your money and focus on cash flow. And when I say cash flow, I don't mean income or revenue coming in, which is what a lot of people will say. Mm -hmm. Cash flow really means is what's the difference between your income and your expenses? Get that as big as you can, right? Get your income as high as you can, get your expenses as low within reason. Don't live on rice and beans. That's stupid advice. But uh, you know, still try to be a wise steward of the money you have. So track your money, you know, track it on a regular basis, know how much is coming in and going out. Just by doing that alone, even if you don't try to be cheap, just naturally because you're watching your money, you'll you'll capture more money. You'll also know exactly what you need to be able to replace your income with passive income, right? And that's where get liquid comes into play because the problem is everybody's teaching you to lock your money up in prison, lock it up in that house forever, right? And that home equity. And maybe you're teaching that to your clients. I don't know. But I used to do the same thing. I realized it's a bunch of crap because now the banks are in control and not you until you fully pay off that house. So you lock your money up in equity, but you can't get to it. Like in the last recession, we found out. You can go and lock your money up in 401ks and IRAs, but then they slap you with 10% penalties and stuff because you're trying to touch your own money, which is stupid, right? So they're telling you to lock all your money in prison. Get it out. Keep it in your possession. Keep it in places that are liquid. You can use it. Stop throwing extra money on your house that you can't get out without asking mom and dad, Mr. Bank, for permission, right? You want to make sure that money's in your possession and then you get it out. You deploy it. You get it to a place where it starts generating passive income to replace your current income to the point where you work because you want to, not because you have to, where especially as an agent, you come with amazing amounts of power because your clients, whether they know, whether you say it verbally or not, subconsciously, people feel your energy. They can tell when you're desperate for a sale and they can tell when you don't need their sale. And when you're going to come from a place of power, and I don't mean from a place of ego and pride where you're just like, I'm too good for you. Because then, then you're just, I, I was going to use a word I probably shouldn't use on the air, but <laughs> basically people don't like you, right? Um, but if you come from a place of confidence saying, listen, like I don't need this one commission. I don't need this sale, but I bet you I could probably help you. If I can help you, then this makes sense. If not, then we shouldn't do business together, right? Mm -hmm. That's the power you should be coming from. And, uh, and that happens when you get to create passive streams of income outside of your practice, outside mm -hmm. of your business, right? When you get outside of the agency, that's when you start to really become powerful. And the funny thing is, the less you need money, the more people want to do business with you. That's one of my biggest hacks I've learned in my business is that the more I'm financially free, the more people want to pay me money right? They want to do business with me, even though I don't need it. And that's the irony. When you need it the most is when people don't want to do it because they sense desperation. I call it commission breath, right? You know, yeah. that business breath where they can just tell you're desperate. So yeah. that's what I did. So I started like, well, one, I was out of the financial advising game. I was still a mortgage broker at the time. But what I started to do is I started to take my money and invest it. You know, I put it with like hard money lending where I'd lend it to real estate investors to go lend out. 
Um, I even started turning my my properties into rentals. Funny thing, you know, in real estate, you should probably have rentals, right? Um, and then here's what's interesting. This one, this one actually accelerated my progress because if I just relied only on my rentals, it would take some time to build that up. Granted, at the time, I only needed 3500 bucks a month. It was not hard to get out of the rat race, right? But the big thing that got me there fast within months was actually a friend. Um, he was a guy in, in the finance business. He was talking to me. He said, Chris, if money were no issue, what would you spend your time doing? And I thought about it. I'm like, well, I don't know. I'd probably teach ballroom dancing because little known fact, I was one of the nation's top amateur ballroom dancers before that time. So I was like, oh, I'd probably go teach ballroom dancing. He's like, okay, well, all right, what else? And he's like, what about this mortgages? You know, this mortgage business you're in, would you keep doing mortgages? And I said, well, I like teaching people about how to get a good mortgage and how to use their equity to invest and make more than their mortgage payment. But I would love to not have to deal with paperwork because that's the one thing I hate. I hate paperwork. And I don't know if there's any other agents out there. There's probably a lot of agents out there <laughs> yeah. like me that just absolutely hate dealing with paperwork, right? Um, so I said, I hate paperwork. And then he said something that blew my mind. He said, Chris, why don't you find somebody who does like doing paperwork? I was like, nobody in the world exists like that. Like who actually likes paperwork? He's like, trust me, there are nerds that like paperwork. So I went to my broker and asked him, I said, listen, is there a guy that fits this description? They said, yeah, Clark, which if you have the name Clark, you got to be good at paperwork, yeah. right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, you know, I talked to Clark. I said, Clark, listen, if I just serve people up to you, you know, I have conversations with them. They're already ready to do the mortgage. You just have to do all the paperwork and underwriting everything else. Will you split me 50-50? He said, absolutely. And so I would. I spent like maybe a half hour or so with the client, you know, teach them what they need to do. They're like, this sounds awesome. How do I get this mortgage? Like, talk to Clark, let him do it. Mm -hmm. So he does all the work. I get a check for like a thousand or 2000 bucks in the mail doing very little work. And the next thing I know, I was like, well, wait, if I can do it with that, are there other people I'm sending referrals to I, I'm missing out on? And so there was like a wholesale jeweler in Salt Lake City because people would tell me, especially when I'm in my 20s, they're like, yeah, I'm going to get engaged or get married. I'm like, don't buy that ring from those people, from the normal retailer. Go to this wholesale guy. He'll charge you a third of the cost. It's awesome. And that guy would give me a 5% kickback. So I basically became kind of like a broker, even like an affiliate in a sense, before the affiliate was even a thing, right? Um, and it was just very natural. I didn't do any marketing. It was just friends and family. People would say, hey, who do you know that does blank? And if it was a question I got often enough, I would say, well, hey, go talk to this person. And if it came up that often, I would even go to that person and say, listen, if it's legal, right? If you can, you know, because obviously there's some commissions you have to be licensed for, like real estate. Um, I was like, you know, if I send a referral to you, can I get compensated for that? You know, or do you have some sort of referral fee or something? Yeah, of course I do. And so I did that with like a couple of different companies. And between that and my real estate, that's where I was making about four or 5,000 a month. And so that's, that's what shocked me is like, wait a minute, that got me there really fast. And I was working literally like a couple hours a week, you know? So it was, it was like the four hour work week before Tim Ferriss wrote the book, you know, it was, it just mind blowing. Right. So, you know, backing up there, you know, you, you talked about, um, you know, really kind of tracking to where your, you know, for the cash flows to where your income far exceeds your expenditures. And, mm -hmm. you know, for real estate agents, you know, you get that big commission check and it looks all great, but you got to remember all the marketing and all the, everything that you mm -hmm. did to, to get that, uh, commission check. So when you, when you work with clients to really kind of, um, you know, 
document all that and and kind of figure out what their cash flow is. What kind of exercises are you doing uh, to really make sure that they are accounting for everything? Yeah, so we we have them fill out a spreadsheet called the cash flow optimizer that we've created. You know, which mm-hmm. really tracks income and expenses. Uh, we even look at the balance sheet. We look at like their assets and their liabilities, and and we even have a, a index that's based on a, a debt paydown strategy called, mm-hmm. called the cash flow index that I created back in two thousand eight. Um, primarily when the recession sucked and I had to figure out, should I invest money or should I pay off debt? That was my formula I used. And uh, so anyways, um, so we have them put all that information in there and then really just kind of look through like with a fine tooth comb with income and expenses. All right. Could we make the income better? Are there ways to do that without having to work harder? Are there things we can do with expenses? Can we reduce that? If you're a business owner, can we reduce your taxes and, and get you doing some tax strategies? Even CPAs forget to tell you about, or just don't know about, Right. Um, can you do things that, like I said, consolidate, pay off debt faster? Can we take cash as sitting in your savings or your, you know, in your equity for home? Can we use that cash and use it to go, you know, not just buy real estate, like in your backyard where you might transact it, but I buy real estate all over the country and I don't have to find it because I'll use like turnkey real estate companies to help me find those properties. Right. And I will buy stuff in like in the Carolinas where numbers are way better than out in the Western half of the United States where rent sucks out here. Like anytime I get somebody on the West Coast or in California, Oregon, Washington, especially even Utah, like where I am, they say, Yeah, I have this rental property. I'm like, Great, sell it. Well, you haven't heard what I said. I was like, Doesn't matter. I already know the numbers suck. <laughs> like <laughs> you probably have a good equity just so you can make a few bucks on that sucker. Cause I had one guy in California had 700,000 equity in his property, cash flowing 200 bucks a month net profit. I was like, Dude, you can, you can 1031 that into another property. And even if you only made a 10% cash to cash, which I can do out in the Southeast more so, right? Um, make 10% cash on cash on that sucker. I'm making 70,000 a year, not 2,400 a year, which is what he did. He ended up buying some properties like in Louisiana, for example, and some other places. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so there's so many ways you can do that. Um, but that's that's the thing we really look at is like, where's that potential? Where are you losing money? Do you have a rental property that had the return on equity is so low because you've got this equity, but like him, he's making a 0.3% return on equity well, let's get that money out and move it somewhere else, right? So it's really about getting money to move and get it to deployed in a place where it does better. And it doesn't have to be a property. Uh, I mean, I have some clients that refuse to ever have a rental, you know, even though I know with you guys, that probably would be the case, but a lot of them said, you know what? I'd rather just put my money in a, in a real estate fund that goes to real estate investors and then they pay me back, right? Or I do short, you know, hard money lending that way, which is a little bit riskier than doing the fund aspect. Um, you know, even guys, I have a good friend in Jersey, for example, that he'll pay 12%, you know, for having his money, not just going and flipping properties in Jersey, but he also has got long-term rentals, like some multifamilies down in like Georgia, you know, and places like that. So there's so many ways you can invest. Even oil and gas right now is amazing where you can lease the land and get paid royalties on it. You almost double dip on that, you know, or other things. I even have a partnership where I have guys doing buying and selling raw land where they sell or finance back to you know, back to the the uh, buyers. I'm just the mortgage company, essentially, right? I'm the bank, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, my quarter millions already making seventy five hundred a month after a year and a half. You know, so there's just so many ways, so many variety of ways you can do these alternative investments, even that are real estate backed. But you don't have to be the real estate manager. I'm completely at this point passive. I I tried the flip thing before the last recession, and that I got burned on it. I'm so much happier just let my money go to work and not do anything. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and in that, you know, that passive versus active, you know, if you're 
if you're doing the, if you're grinding as you know the real estate agent or the entrepreneur, that's a whole other job that you've brought on that's yourself. Right. If you're trying to flip it and you know, or you know, actively act as a landlord, I mean, that's a whole other set of headaches that you've just brought on to yourself. Yeah, and that and that's a, and that's an opportunity cost that could cost you more in commissions than it makes you in rent. So that's the thing you have to be careful of. And again, I'm not all about reinvesting all your dollars back into your into your agency, right, or into your brokerage. I'm not about that at all. I'm not saying you should put 100% there because you'll get caught in your own rat race forever as a real estate professional, right? Because you will be stuck always reinvesting money back in your business and then you can't get out of that habit. And then you're going to wonder, you'll look back and say, wait a minute, where'd all that money go? Yeah, I have. I make millions in my, my business, which by the way, I have tons of real estate friends that fit this description, make <laughs> millions in the real estate business. But if that business were to shut down today, they would be just as broke as everybody else. Because they don't have anything to show for it outside of that business. And you've got to have those other streams of income so that you are work optional, just in case we have another crappy 2020 year or whatever else comes up, right? Right. So, you know, and even, you know, using you as an example, you know, you, you talked about reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And there's so many people out there that do those kind of things. And they, they you know, even maybe listening to this and hear, you know, like, oh, this sounds like a great idea. Now, what avenues do I have to really start? Like where do, where do I actually start putting my money into practice and where do I find those places to actually start doing that? Yeah, that's the problem. Like I read Rich Dad Poor Dad several times before I ever bought anything beyond my own first home. Right. And even then like Rich Dad Poor Dad, although it's good with the mindset is a crappy book when it comes to strategy. It really is. And so I think the big thing you have to decide is, do you want to be an active investor or a passive investor? Because it, and I'll tell you, if you want to be a passive investor, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, you're going to need cash. I mean, you're going to need to take some of those commissions, not put it back into your business, not just take it home and try to show off a nice car or house or whatever, but you got to take some of that money and use it to put an investment account to start using. And when I say investment account, please don't think that should mean a 401k or IRA. Those suck. Do not use those. Okay. I'm saying get that money out in cash and then you can use it, especially when you go over $100,000. Then you start to have some options. It's not. I'm not saying you can't do something with less because, like on my podcast show, we've advertised a, a company that they have a minimum of a thousand bucks, you know, for their investment. So you could make passive income, but making ten percent on a thousand bucks makes you hundred bucks a year. Isn't going to move the needle. So you're going to want six figures to start investing and diversify a little bit. Um, that's what you need as a passive investor. If you want to become an active investor, or you're like, I don't want to wait that long. Well, then the active investor is another option. Just be careful. Like I said earlier, don't let that consume so much of your time and energy that you lose more money in your business. You never, ever want to sacrifice that. Um, but you can become an active investor. You could manage your own property. You could find something in your backyard. And maybe you're in the Southeast, the US and, or Midwest, and there's better deals than there are in the Western half of the United States, right? Maybe you could find a good property that you could you could use and and uh, leverage well. Maybe you could sell or finance instead of having to buy it. So you can use little to no down payment, right? Um, I mean, there's there's a variety of options that are there. Um, obviously, time and energy is the thing that usually you invest. If you don't have money, you invest time and energy. I would just say be careful of that because uh, my personal experience is that if you know if you have remember like the whole alligator greater than equal than signs, right? Right. Um, for me, like money is great, but time is better than money. Is greater than money and even greater than money or and greater than time is energy. Because I've learned, maybe it's because I'm in my mid 40s now, but 
I've learned that energy trumps everything because energy can actually make better use of that time, could get more leverage out of everything, including your money. So just be aware, like, you know, be wary where you put your energy towards. Um, I wouldn't recommend becoming an active investor unless you actually really do like it. If you, if you think yeah. it's fun, if you like doing renovations of projects or whatever, you want to use that burst strategy where you, you know, you buy it, you you know, renovate it, refinance it, rent it out and all that kind of stuff. Great. Um, but just make sure that's something that, that as Marie Kondo would say, brings you joy, right? Yeah. Uh, don't do anything that's actually going to suck all your, your life away. And then you're just doing it for the, the dollar. So if you're doing that, what makes that any different than a job? Right. Absolutely. So, you know, if you're going the passive route, what are, what are some of your tactics or things that you've done to, uh, to vet out and make sure that these, you know, these places that you're investing or these particular deals are, you know, right for you? Yeah. So I'll put them into two different categories. So if you try to buy like turnkey rentals where somebody else mm -hmm. property manages it for you, that property manager is the number one thing. Uh, heck, the property doesn't have to be that great, but if the property manager sucks, it doesn't matter if you have the best property in the world, you can end up having crappy tenants because they don't screen the tenants well, or they don't even collect well on it. Uh, we had to deal with that on some of our properties in Alabama, where we had to come back to the, the property management company and say, listen, you owe us money now. <laughs> you know, this is not cool. And so, uh, so you got to be careful when it comes to that. Property management is like the number one key when you're having your own rental properties because that's that's going to be the difference between you being passive versus you having to step in and be active again. Um, when it comes to everything else, um, when you're trusting your money with someone else, right? When you're putting your money with, doesn't matter if you're trying to go into a syndicated deal or you're buying a multifamily apartment together or self-storage or your oil and gas, or if you're going into you know, uh, anything for that matter, right? Or even just lending money to investors, it really is about who you're investing with. You know, That is always the number one thing. I like to have someone who has an experience of usually at least 15 years. Um, so, and I, and I want them 15 years in that arena, right? So for example, someone says, well, I started out in the, you know, the residential space um, and, and investing, but just two years ago, I started doing self-storage. I'm not going to put money with them, right? That, that's just too soon. I, you know, I'm not saying that they wouldn't lose your money, but the odds are a lot higher because they haven't been through that full market cycle. You want somebody who actually has been through the last recession, weathered through it, whether it was pretty or not, doesn't matter. If they learned from it and they were able to adjust and become stronger for it. Those are the people I like to trust in my money more so than those that, you know, uh, I don't know how many people I've talked to that said, yeah, 2017, 2018, I started investing in real estate. I'm like, good for you, baby, you know, baby real estate, you know, investor. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm happy for you but I'm not going to trust my money with you. You know, like that's wonderful, but you know, you better get another decade and your teeth kicked in a few times from some market swings and trends and things like that. Then I'll trust you. And so I know it's tough because if someone's listening right now, they are that person. They're going to say, well, Chris doesn't trust me. Hey, start with your friends and family, you know, start there. Um, I wouldn't do it, especially if I'm a stranger, but it really does come down to that trust, like really knowing, understanding if they know what they're doing and, and really see if they have that right track record. And I'll add this as a bonus tip to kind of going alongside that. Um, if you're in certain types of mastermind groups or things like that, I've noticed that birds of a feather flock together, right? If you're somebody who's a stand-up, honest person with a lot of integrity, you'll tend to attract those same people. You'll resonate with them when you meet them. And that's something that kind of requires almost a sixth sense when you're dealing with people and getting that good intuition, intuitive feel, gut feeling about them. But that's what's worked for me is that sometimes I can see past whatever it might say on the numbers and say, well, you know what, that can tell this person they're legit, you know, versus someone who's 
been in the business maybe 25 years, but you can just see and sense that something's off, you know, so you got to be careful who you're, who you're uh, playing with. Right. And you kind of, you, you know, going along with that, you know, that whole having the experience through the, the multiple ups and downs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Wh- where do you see, you know, the current market and then how things are, you know, kind of progressing, you know, and then the near and, you know, you know, upcoming future. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about the United States is that geographically it's kind of dependent, right? You know, like I know Utah suffered a lot and so has a lot of the West coast, you know, with prices. Um, and it's kind of flipped back to being a buyer's market again, where it was a seller's market earlier this year. Now it's back to a buyer's market again for here, but there's other places where you just don't hear about in the news. They're just the boring tertiary type of markets that can be perfect, you know, a perfect place for real estate. And you may not see a drop in values where Utah, I would expect it. You know, I expect most of the West, Western half of the United States to have issues. Um, and some, it could even happen nationwide too. Um, I do, I do think that obviously the, the ridiculous amount of, of money printing and, and just amount of debt that the government's put us in and put themselves in. And now they have to pay more interest on that debt too. Uh, it's, it's going to have a comeuppance, right? It's going to have an effect. I'm more worried about the stock market than I am the real estate market though. Um, anybody who's in stocks, even in the crypto market, I think there's, uh, I'm starting to see that the feds, it looks like the feds have actually gotten control of that. And I don't mean control, like putting rules and regulations. I actually believe, even though I don't have evidence of it, but there's some compelling cases out there that the Fed have actually bought up a lot of Bitcoin, for example, so that they can price control it. Because their number one job is not to control interest rates or inflation. Their number one job is to control the US dollar and to control the value and make sure it stays strong, even worldwide and even with alternative sources. So you know, that's why I don't trust the speculative stuff. I trust in real assets. And if there's going to be more inflation, whether it is or not, that's a whole other debate. The thing is that real assets have proven to work, right? And real estate is one of the best places to be. So if you're already in real estate, you're already there. You already see it. Um, it's just a matter of finding the right deals, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm staying away from apartments right now um, for the most part, because apartments have been so overvalued for so long. And now they got, you know, they, they've got their own day coming up. I think that a commercial space is going to see a lot of, a lot of correction, but, uh, but that's, just starting to happen, right? I'm seeing some, I've seen some people that are experienced investors actually have issues already with those commercial apartments. And those are people that have been experienced. Imagine what the inexperienced people are going to be like. And eventually when there's going to be fire sales happening, I think in the next year or two, you'll see a lot of that. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like what you said was the, you know, those, uh, the market, the trends in the real estate, you know, what you might be experiencing in your part of the country. You know, I've talked to several people that might be up in, you know, some kind of more secluded areas in like Vermont, for example, that, you know, really don't, uh, even through the whole COVID swings, they really didn't have like a crazy swing. And so by, you know, having those passive investments throughout the country and as a real estate agent, you, you're, you have, you know, referral partners or people that, you know, in different parts of the country, where you really do have a good uh, wealth of data and knowledge that you can, you know, use to make sure that you're uh, investing in the right areas. Yeah. I have a friend in New Hampshire right now. And he's like, I love it that nobody knows about New Hampshire. Like he's like, when people come, they stay, nothing happens. It's just boring. And that's the way we like it, you know? And, and that's, and that's great. You like to hear that kind of stuff. You want those kind of markets, you know, versus, the ones you always hear about, like Tampa, you know, like once you already hear about stuff in the news, that's when you know it's the time not to be into it, right? So I always do whatever the media, I always do the opposite of the media. If the media says real estate's going to tank, then I know it's not, you know, if the media says, 
hey, I think this is going to boom, you know, or like, well, Tampa is growing and, and going crazy. Well, the boom's already done. Now, now the dumb people go in at that point, right? It's just like when people go in the stock market after it's already been up for years. Well, actually, oh, like now, <laughs> you know, going into the <laughs> stock market after it went up for a, more than a decade straight, you know, like you're court, you're just begging to lose money. And so the best thing to do is to do the opposite of what you hear in the media. And like you said, have those connections around the country. That's, that's where you, the real money is made. Yeah. So for anybody that's listening to this, that wants to hear more of, you know, your tips and your, you know, uh, you know, the more stuff that you have to share, where can they, where can they find that? Yeah, you can do that actually by going to moneyripples.com, you know, and that's with an R, not an N, just so you're aware, because I had Entrepreneur Magazine that actually said moneynipples.com, and that's not us. We're moneyripples.com. And uh, and then, of course, you can also find our podcast, the Money Ripples podcast on YouTube or iTunes or wherever you, you consume podcasts. Awesome. I really appreciate it. I think it's awesome, you know, that you're able to retire so young and decided to come out and start teaching, you know, uh, you know, all your tips and, and, you know, kind of share your advice as well. Absolutely. No, that's where I have the most fun. That's what I love. It's what I love to do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really want to thank Chris for joining us today. And remember, if you're interested in learning more from Chris, I've included links to the Money Ripples website and podcast in the episode description. So once again, if you think you or someone else on your team has an incredible story or tips to share with our community, send us a message at feedback at smartagents.com. Well, that wraps things up for this episode. But remember, follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure to subscribe to the Smart Agents YouTube channel. Again, I'm Michael Walter, and we'll see you on the next episode.